Church, it is the season of Christmas where we celebrate the miraculous, the miracle of immaculate conception, the miracle of of angels appearing in the sky, and the miracle of a star pointing the way to Jesus away in a manger. But I might add another miracle that I'm celebrating this holiday season. You see, last week, our family, me, Javon, our 10-year-old, our 9-year-old, and our 5-year-old spent nine hours in the car going back and forth to visit our family in Michigan, and we didn't kill each other. Now, I don't know what came over my children. They actually shared their electronic devices with one another like kind and compassionate human beings, which they never are. And over 600 miles of road, they didn't ask to use the bathroom every 15 minutes. In fact, they didn't ask to use the bathroom once. And here is the kicker. Despite past road trips where civil war broke out, No one fought with anyone because their leg was touching somebody else's leg. I'm telling you, it was a miracle. Now, some of you may be thinking that compared to angels in the sky or virgin births, that a drama-free road trip with children is not all that miraculous. But I tell you that you haven't driven in the car with my children. But before I reread our scripture, I may have agreed with you. Because you see, for most of us, a miracle is an exception to the rule. They are supernatural occurrences that defy the laws of nature and reveal the absolute power of God. They are red seas parted down the middle so that God's people can walk through on dry land. They are God closing the mouths of lions and making them lie down like house cats in the face of a defiant Daniel. They are a prophet taking a cruise in the belly of a fish. Or my personal favorite miracle, an unknown carpenter turning water into wine. You see, what all these extraordinary events have in common is that they arrest our attention with this grandiose display of God's power and control in the world. And so this becomes our working definition of miracles. But then we look at the Christmas story. And well, we can't really relate. We haven't seen angels uh, running around in the sky. We haven't received gifts of gold, frankincense, or myrrh. And the only stars that we see glowing are the ones that we plug in. You see, Christmas is often presented as this beautiful and miraculous but unrelatable story to our everyday, ordinary, and mundane lives. But I would invite you today to make room for a new definition of miracles. You see, the real miracle in this text is not the glittering star or the heavenly host of angels. The miracle is that the same God who can part seas, turn water into wine, 
and close the mouth of hungry lions chooses to come into the world, well, just like everybody else. What should arrest our attention is that God doesn't enter the world in some show-stopping, spectacular way, but instead is born in a stable, in a small town, to a no-name young couple and wrapped in swaddling clothes like millions of babies before him and millions of babies who would come after him. The real miracle is that an all-powerful God chooses our vulnerable human experience just to be close to us. Not above us in all power and glory, but Emmanuel with us in our everyday and ordinary lives. And you see, the reason that we need to make room for this understanding of miracles is that when we begin to see miracles not just as the otherworldly or spectacular, but rather as the everyday faithful movement of God, we begin to see that God is always working. God is always blessing. God is always performing miracles in our lives. And don't take my word for it. Just ask the united women in faith right here at Noblesville First. You see, each October, the United Women in Faith hold their annual rummage sale. They do this every single year. This is nothing out of the ordinary. It's a standing ministry event. In fact, many of you have donated clothes or household goods, shoes, toys, nothing spectacular, just ordinary stuff. Well, Anita Beck, our unit president, told me about one particular customer who came to shop. And you would have thought that this was Black Friday. He was standing outside the doors before they even opened. And when they finally did, he made a beeline straight for the shoes. He then proceeded to pick up as many as he could carry and ended up buying almost every single pair that was available. Now, some people would see this man and think that he has a shoe fetish like I do. But no, Anita, Anita saw a miracle in the making. She and the other United Women in Faith couldn't help but ask this man, well, what are you going to do with all of those shoes? He shared that he comes to our rummage sale so that he can purchase as many shoes as possible in order to send them to children and families who need them in Africa. Now, last time I checked, there was no uh, angelic heavenly host in Celebration Hall during the rummage sale. There wasn't a star shining in the sky either. No, it was just an ordinary man buying ordinary shoes from ordinary women, sending them to ordinary people who needed them. But you see, that's the making of a miracle, an ordinary act that points to the extraordinary faithfulness of God, a God who takes what we do in our everyday lives and moves it across continents, time zones, borders, and miles to meet the needs of people that we may never meet. And maybe... Maybe with this reminder of how God works miracles in the mundane, 
we'll begin to see that the Christmas story isn't some otherworldly story about saints that we could never be, but rather a story about people like us and a God who wants to be with us. Now, there's more that we learn from this scripture, not only to make room for miracles in the mundane, but also to make room for miracles in the messy. You see, Jesus is born in this ordinary way, but not in an ordinary place. His laboring mother is not surrounded by midwives or her female relatives in her own home, as was the custom of the time. No, instead, she finds herself in this dirty, dusty, and smelly stable with her husband and a company of livestock looking on. Now, when Mary was approached by an angel and told that she would be the mother of the Savior of the world, I am certain that this is not what she imagined. For who could imagine giving birth to the great I am, the light of the world in a place like this? A place full of dirty, bleeding, mooing animals. A place teeming with the pungent aroma of manure, sweat, and hay. A place heated by the humid air of the Middle Eastern night. A place without privacy, without decorum, a dirty place, a dark place, a place where no mother in her right mind would ever choose to give birth. And yet that's where God chooses to enter into the world, in that dark, filthy, and messy place. And I think that's a word for us today. Because sometimes we miss the miraculous move of God because we limit the places where God can dwell. We limit God's power and presence to the sanitized and and hallmark movie parts of our lives. And we evict God from the places or situations that we think are just too dirty or too messy for God to occupy. But this scripture shows us that we can make room for God in the mess. God is willing to meet us in the stables of our lives, the stables full of regrets and bad decisions, the stables full of sin and setbacks, the stables full of messiness and mistakes. God will show up in that place, in that dirty and dark place, bringing new life and possibility where we thought there was none. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present or the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But I have another translation. It's from the... um, Not an Apostle Nicole. It goes this way. Nothing. Nope. Nil. Not even that. Not even them. Not even you. Not what hurt you. Not who you hurt. Not what you said. Not what you didn't say. 
Not what you should have done or what should have been done for you. Nothing is too dirty. Nothing is too broken. Nothing is too messy for God to meet you, to love you, to call you, to heal you, to accept you as a daughter and a son. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Make room. Make room for God in that place where you thought God couldn't or wouldn't show up. Make room for God in that relationship that you were certain was too broken or damaged. Make room for God to meet you in the mess today. Now, as you contemplate where that mess might be, let me offer you the last thing that God showed me in our scripture this morning. You see, as 21st century disciples of Jesus, we can't help but read the Christmas story with the end in mind. We see the baby Jesus in the shadow of the cross. We know the blind men that he will make see. We know the storms that he will calm, the girl that he will raise from the dead, and the cross that he will carry to Calvary. We know how the story ends. But the people at the first Christmas did not. Mary and Joseph only had a promise about the greatness of their child, but that's it. They could only gaze at their newborn son and hope that he would grow into the dreams and promises that God gave them. And yet right here is the final miracle that God gives us in our scripture. You see, in an era full of uncertainties and misinformation, we don't know who or what to trust. We're skeptical, and we want proof that what we believe is certain. But Joseph and Mary only have an infant to put their hope in. Someone not yet fully grown. Someone unproven, but full of possibility. And I think that's what God calls us to each Christmas season. To be reminded that the hope of the world didn't come in someone fully formed, but someone unproven. And maybe that's the miracle that God is calling you to make room for today. To create space not just for what is and what is certain, but what could be. When I read this text and, and, and when I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to share that point, I struggled with how I was going to make it plain, how I would illustrate what it looks like to make room for, for what is not yet. But then I got a call on Tuesday. Zoe Terhune, a longtime and faithful member of our church, had died after an extended battle with cancer. I reached out to her husband, John, and I offered to come to his home, and he graciously accepted my offer. He showed me all around their house, which was decked out in their finest Christmas decor. Now, John was at 830. He's not here, but I'm telling you, you really should go to his house. You do need to get an invitation first, though, so. because... 
There are more Santas than I could count in the Terhune house. There are three Christmas trees. Two of them are rotating. And there is this beautiful handmade garland that Zoe put on top of the mantle. With all of this Christmas finery, I was, uh, I think, arrested by a feast of the eyes with the red and the greens and the gold and the glitter. But then John pointed me to the table. And that's what I will never forget. And not because it had these beautiful gold chargers with red and green napkins. No, that wasn't it. John shared that this table was not just any table. He and Zoe had had a baby boy who tragically passed away from sudden infant death syndrome. And after he died, they received an insurance benefit, which they used to purchase this large table with enough room for six chairs. Now, I found that so peculiar considering that at the time they were a family of two and that after losing a child, they would choose a table fit for so many more. But John told me they were making room. They weren't sure when or how, but they believed in what God could do, what God might do how God might grow their family. And when God did, they would have the table set. Now, I tried to pass off the tears in my eyes as allergies, but I couldn't help but be moved by this example of fearless faith that anticipated the miracles of God before they were fully grown. That's why I know our visit was not by accident. I believe God wanted to show me and you what it really looks like to make room for what could be, what isn't, but what might to make room for God's miracles. I saw it in a table set for six, and I see it in each of you today. Room for blessings, room for God to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask, think, or imagine. All we have to do is set the table.